Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and just ask us. While the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer, and the RS Health Penile Rehabilitation Program. PROST is a not-for-profit charity set up by myself in 2012 that aims to help men exercise during their experience with prostate cancer. If you want to know anything more about PROST, including our online service and USB product now available, please just go to prost.com.au. The Penile Rehabilitation Program was created by Melissa at Restorative Sexual Health. This is an online program to assist turning software into hardware without leaving your home. This program was designed for people who live in areas where access to health professionals in this area is not available, or for those who are just too busy to attend consults, or even for those who just feel more comfortable learning at home with online learning and consultations online. For more information about this program, please go to www.rshealth.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health, so prost to you. November 11th. 11 a.m. 60 seconds kids watch on the wall. Welcome to the Penis Project podcast. Today I'm absolutely delighted to have a dear friend of mine come join us. His name is Boris Kazakov and Boris I've known for well over 20 years now. Actually as a friend of my husband's but I've leaned on him at various times um, of my own um, need and Boris is an accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist with more than, what, 30 years experience? Pretty close, yes. <laughs> so, Boris, thanks so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, we don't have Melissa join us because she's had to uh, run along and do another webinar um, somewhere on the other side of the world. But she had a little bit of a question to please explain what the difference is between a dietitian and a nutritionist. Well, a nutritionist... Um is a three-year degree course at various universities. I did mine locally at Curtin. And once you've done that three-year degree course, then you apply to get into the fourth. Well, it's actually a postgrad. It's dietetics. So it's based on marks and an interview. And then you do a 12-month uh, quite uh, taxing year mm. of uh, medicine and dietetics and food and nutrition. And then one becomes an, a dietitian and then we become an accredited dietitian. And when did your career actually start? What what year was that and where did you first have your first role? Well, I was always interested in food and the body and um, I thought, well, how, how does food affect the body and what foods can affect the body and how does it operate? So I thought, well, looked at various courses and the one at Curtin, which is at that time West Australian Institute of Technology. Now I'm showing my age. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I yeah. wait, wait, wait. Yeah, so I enrolled there and I was uh, one of five males in the course, oh. predominantly females. It's not why I did the course, no, but uh, yeah, yeah. It, it was attractive as such. And then 
by the end of our fourth year, I was the only guy amongst, I think, 12 or 13 females. So it turned out pretty well. (laughs) But it was hard work and they were just my colleagues. But uh, yeah, Yeah. it was a a fun course. Quite taxing as well. Yeah, I remember my fourth year of physiotherapy. It was just one year of like 40 weeks of just working super hard and being assessed every you know, corner I went, turned around. So where did you, where was your first role? My first role, I got a placement at Sir Charles Garden Hospital for about six months. Ah. I did my internship there and I suppose they liked my work and they said, well, come on board for about six months, which I did, which is interesting. So I was on various wards, uh, the gastroenterology ward, um, the aged care ward as well. So it was, it was quite a good learning experience my first six months out of uni and it was it was a good course and the job was great as well. And then you've had a fairly um, strong interest in sports over the years. Um, you've even worked with the Perth Glory, our soccer team, I believe. Yes, I was their dietitian for many years. I started off with Perth Glory. My first team was actually the Western Reds for those who are old enough to remember. The I rugby. Started off, the rugby league, yeah. I started off with them. Um, I was based at um, a practice at Mount Claremont and got involved with the Reds. And that was interesting uh, in terms of the, the, how much they needed to consume to do what they do well. So it was a lot, a lot of food and uh, just big burly guys and lots of them took supplements. But I actually got on board and informed them that it's not all about supplementation. It's more about getting the baseline with food and then supplements if required. All right. I think that's where we might start our conversation a lot of people listening to our podcast are actually men who've had prostate cancer. So Melissa and I work a lot together. Um, most of our patients have had uh, medical problems and then they work with us for recovery of their uh, continence function, sexual function. Um, but many times they're having surgery or radiation therapy, sometimes hormone therapy. So they're coming across a lot of specific things. But these days I'm really glad to report that we get an opportunity to encourage patients to have preparation time or in my um, PhD work it was all about the pelvic floor prehabilitation time but we've got an increasing number of um, surgeons urologists that like their prostate cancer patients to start off with losing weight sometimes they're told to lose 10 kilos in six weeks what's your thoughts on uh, preparation for surgery just generally um, in terms of um, the need for weight loss well, w- with that in mind, I mean, that's a lot of weight to lose in a short period of time. And there, there are methods to do that. And generally, put it, we put them on meal replacement supplements for breakfast, lunch and dinner with some vegetables, some extra virgin olive oil to get the gallbladder working properly. And that seems quite effective to lose a lot of weight in that short period of time. It'll be difficult to do that just in food alone. But I give people the option, or particularly men, the option of do we do it through supplementation or meal replacements or do we do it through real food? It can be done in both ways, but it seems to be more effective with the meal replacement products. And do you find that most people can stick with it? Because it's pretty pretty low um, amounts of food, is it? Yeah, it is. It's quite low in kilojoules or calories, as people may know it. And it's hard to stick to, but they they need to do it for that specific reason. They do persist with it, but there is some hunger aspects there but we try to increase the intake of veggies that also helps with their bowels make sure they get enough fluid and that what's what tends to fill them but those products are also high in protein and having that in the diet on a regular basis it improves their satiety in other words they get fuller for longer with some extra protein in those particular meal replacement products well that's really helpful just 
information for the target audience that are particularly listening to us. And um, I, I do find in the context of surgery for prostate cancer, the reason the surgeons are aiming for this is to help them with their nerve sparing due to the reduced visceral fat um, associated with what sits around the, the prostate. Um, there can be quite a lot of... Um, I guess disguise or barrier to the to the surgeons actually being able to see those nerves on their um, robotic machines. But if they do have this rapid waste loss, it really does help increase their um, outcomes for erectile function. So in my context, when I work with patients with um, continence issues, that's also really um, helpful not to have so much downward sort of girth um, and depression of the pelvic floor to help with continence. So for that specific group, um, I'm sure they'll find out some really good stuff from our chat today. But I wanted to talk more generally. We like to cover the topics of men's health. And we had a little brief chat just when you um, came and sat with us before, Boris, about just you know, how to approach it every day in a, in a balanced way. So we'd like to do a little bit of talk, I guess, around how we can best look after ourselves over the lifespan. Just a few simple tips maybe um, about diet and exercise. So, yeah, just to – if I walked in today being someone who didn't necessarily need to have surgery but just wanted to get some advice about, you know, sensible approaches to, to health and diet. Sure, Joe. Well, the, I mean, everybody knows about eating more fruit and vegetables. That's really, really important because those particular foods – are also high in fibre and they're very, very filling. So you don't get very hungry when you have more fibre in the diet. But they also contain antioxidants in terms of vitamins and minerals. And that also improves health and well-being. So you can't go past that old message about more fruit and vegetables. However, it's not just about fruit and vegetables. You need some protein and ideally some protein in each meal. And those protein foods are things like your lean red meats, chicken, fish, nuts. And if um, people don't like the flesh-based food and some men don't like flesh-based foods, they want to go and have something different than things like legumes, like baked beans, lentils, red kidney beans, three-bean mix. They're all good source of protein, as are nuts. And also dairy foods are all part of that protein group. But in terms of red meats, um, from all the research that I have seen, we're trying to get men to actually eat less red meat. And we know that men are lovers of red meat. So my recommendation is to eat no more than about 350 grams of red meat, lean red meat per week. That's between one and three times a week. And how does that compare to the white meats? White meats, I'd encourage men to eat more white meats, but more um, seafood. So salmon, the oily type fish, sardines. I call them old people's food because most young people don't eat those oily type fish, no, particularly sardines and yep. mackerel and herring. Now, be it fresh or canned, they also provide omega-3s, which help with heart health as well. So certainly a lot more of the oily type fish. In addition to that, we need some extra virgin olive oil because a lot of people cut away from the fats. It's important to reduce fats, but it, from the point of view of healthy fats, increase the intake of the extra virgin olive oils, avocados, nuts, because they also contain all the good fats. But the bad fats are in things like your processed foods, the potato chips, lots of takeaway foods, fast foods, donuts and the like. <laughs> cut those right back. We know they taste good, but I call them discretionary foods. So have them on an occasional basis. So... A discretionary donut, what would be the quota per week that you would say would be okay? Well, that's a very hard <laughs> question because it depends on the size of the donut. It depends <laughs> on the, the person's requirements in terms of energy needs. 
Um, so if someone's trying to lose weight, it really doesn't take a lot of those discretionary foods to get a lot of kilojoules or calories. So the aim is to actually create a deficit and include foods such as those in the diet. But each person is very different in terms of my recommendations of how often or how frequently they should be having these sort of foods. So we're aiming for a certain amount of calories per day. Uh, Say someone's just thinking, I just want to feel a little bit better, maybe lose two or three kilos. Is it something that, um, you know, exercise alone will be able to achieve or would you be really forceful about having protein with each meal as you kind of uh, encouraged me to do not so long ago? Well, some very good research that implicates the importance of high quality proteins at each of the meals and those high quality proteins are as i said before about the lean red meats the chicken the fish the dairy products they also contain other nutrients such as vitamins minerals and calcium particularly so having those foods at each meal helps that person feel fuller for longer so they're not actually snacking on those discretionary foods so i don't talk like calories too much but making sure they're getting adequate proteins Um, some carbohydrate as well because that's important that fills up the muscles people often go away from the carbohydrates because they think they're not good for them and they shouldn't eat them at a specific time there's no hard fast rules about when to eat carbohydrates the body doesn't know whether it's 8 p.m or it's 4 p.m people been told do not eat carbs after 4 p.m or do not eat carbs after 8 p.m that's certainly a misnomer it's important to have some carbohydrate but if you can have it, have it during the course of the day where your body's a bit more active and less at night time. Most people tend to have a huge evening meal and that in itself is probably not the best way to do it. Well, in my house, we're a bit prone to pasta and it's an easy meal to cook. Would there be a better time to eat pasta? Well, look, there's no better time. It depends also on your activity. Mm. So, for example, if you're going for a huge exercise session mid-morning, you're better off having a bit of carbohydrate at your breakfast. And that could be some baked beans and some whole grain toast, or it may be some um, oats, which are also quite filling and very, very cheap uh, and very, very nutritious. So a bit of carbohydrate a couple of hours before your training session will actually help you train more effectively rather than train on an empty stomach. And that in itself might be the reason why you're getting fatigued and maybe not looking at the weights or your gym or your running session or your bike session as being something that you'd like looking forward to because you do get fairly tired. Yeah. Just thinking about that, protein supplements, what's your thoughts on those for when, you know, people going, you know, doing a gym workout and then they protein before and that protein after? What's what's the latest on that? Look, I mean, protein supplements have their place in, in most people's diets. However, all you're getting is just pure protein. And generally, they're whey protein isolate powders, whey protein concentrate, and it's just pure protein. My recommendation is to have protein as a real food, and as I said, could be the lean red meats, Mm. the chicken, or the fish, or the nuts, or the legumes, because they also provide dietary fiber, vitamins, and minerals. So there's no real need to have protein supplements. As long as you're having the real food, distributed evenly over the course of your meals, you should meet your protein needs, and in most cases, surpass them. But they do have their place. For argument's sake, if someone was training in the afternoon, and dinner wasn't ready for a number of hours after their training session, particularly if it's a weight training session, then a whey protein isolate powder mixed with water could be something post-training, which would help stimulate the muscle, but it won't actually make it grow. It'll actually stimulate it. You need the extra fuel from the carbohydrates, the good fats, to allow that muscle to grow. That makes perfect sense. But so many people wander around, like with these big 
tubs. Every time I go to the supermarket, you see people almost doing weightlifting with their <laughs> um, protein supplement shakes. So it's it's not a necessity. People are, you know, probably edging into that fashionable aspect of it. Well, a lot's got to be said for marketing, Joe. Yeah. And yep. these companies spend, I won't tell you how much, but they spend a lot of money on marketing. Mm. And so the fancier the, 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 I guess, label, if it's got someone that looks like they're pumping iron and it's colourful, mm. it's very attractive to the buyer. And mm. sometimes it's not a matter of what it costs. And in some cases, people think, well, the more expensive, the better that powder is. But that's not the case. So it's not always necessary. But it, as I said, it can fit into a person's eating plan if necessary. But firstly, food, then supplements in all cases. Excellent. I think that's a, a very uh, fair appraisal there, Boris. Can I ask you a little bit about exercise now? What should the average person be doing for exercise as a daily requirement just for general health? Well, a minimum of about 150 minutes of accumulated exercise over a week. So you break that down. I'm not a mathematician. That probably works out to, what, 22 minutes a day? That's pretty good. And most people can probably get find at least 22 minutes a day. But if they're aiming to lose weight, it actually is double that. So it's 300 minutes per week. And so that can be quite hefty. And that's a combination of both weight training in the gym or unless you've got a set of weights at home or a gym set up at home. In addition to aerobic activity, and that could be cycling, could be running, could be on the Stairmaster or treadmill, whatever you've got available to you, and also some flexibility. And that being the case, it's what we do on Monday nights with <laughs> Joe. We do yoga. And as one ages, the flexibility of a person uh, diminishes. So it's important to actually increase your flexibility by doing the stretching, yoga for one thing, Pilates is another, but aerobics and also some weight training as well. And men often feel... Um, that they shouldn't do weight training. But as we age, we tend to lose muscle mass. Mm. It's called sarcopenia. Right. And so once you actually start losing muscle mass, you become weak, your strength's affected, and having some weight training can actually build the muscle, but you need sufficient fuel from your foods to actually build muscle. Okay, so there's no point starving yourself to lose weight. And I learned that lesson because I was trying, I tried for six weeks or so just by eating one meal a day and my scales didn't even shift to 100 grams. So um, although I was exercising, I actually didn't lose any weight. But your advice was start eating a bit more protein. I did do that and start increasing my load. I did do that and lo and behold, I lost those couple of kilos. Still got a couple more to go. But um, it was the first time in like a whole year of trying to shift anything <laughs> that um, yeah. something started to move. Well, but not eating very much can be counterproductive because the body needs fuel. And if you're not feeding the body with the right sort of foods, the body will actually break down its own muscle to supply mm. you with energy. And so you're defeating the purpose. You go to the gym to build muscle, but the body's actually breaking down the muscle. Ah. So you're not getting that net effect of gains. Weight training will actually stimulate muscle growth, but not having enough food will actually break down that muscle. So as I said, it's counterproductive. Yeah. And you won't lose very much. And it's been shown that if you actually increase your muscle mass, you increase your metabolism. In other words, you actually burn more fuel when you're carrying more muscle mass. And what about the fact that once you exercise, you suddenly get bigger cravings and, you know, you think, I've exercised, so I'm, it's okay for me to eat. Not a discretionary donut, but, you know, increasing your intake to satisfy your increased craving what's your comment on that and that it's it's pretty common and people don't often realize you don't burn that much in a weight training session or a, 
an aerobic session or even a yoga session, but it's the output and the perceived exertion that one um, places and feels after a session that they actually need to eat more. Mm. But my recommendation there is that if you are hungry after an exercise session, I mean, just picture your dinner plate, not a bread and butter plate, but a dinner plate, mm. half of what you eat should be vegetables. And I don't name any specific veggies. It's just basically lots of colours. So think of the colours of the rainbow. As many colours on your plate in terms of the veggies, then a quarter, that's 50%, then 25% should be your protein. That could be your lean red meat, your fish, your chicken, or it could be your legumes. Yeah. And a little bit, another 25%, if needed, a small portion of carbohydrate. It could be brown rice. It could be quinoa. It may well be um, some pasta. What so about a baked potato? Baked potato is good, but leave <laughs> the skin on. A lot yeah. of people... You know, shy away from spuds. There's no reason for that. And then they are nutritious. Well, I'm so glad to hear you say that because if I could ask the question, what would I have as my final meal if I could? It would be a big baked potato. <laughs> um, but baked potato just doesn't cut it. Add some protein to it. <laughs> Although you might, it might be your last meal, you don't really care. Yeah. I mean, from a vegetarian's perspective, you don't need any meat on that. It may well be a baked potato could be some red kidney beans or it could be some a chickpea curry on your potato and that satisfy satisfies the fibre in the potato, the fibre in the chickpeas, the protein in the chickpeas and it, it's pretty tasty. Oh, lovely summary there, Boris. I've got another question, just throwing this out to you, eggs. What's what's the right amount of um, intake for eggs these days? This uh, has well come this, in and out of trend as well. This changes every probably day or every minute actually, <laughs> how many eggs shall I eat? Eggs are a nutritious product or food, I should say. High in protein, good fats in the yolk, not just the egg whites like some of the bodybuilders have. They shun away from the egg yolk and just have the white. But you're mm. not getting all the vitamins, minerals because the egg white is just pure protein. Okay. And so in terms of recommendations, if you've got heart disease or you've got high cholesterol, no more than seven eggs per week. Okay, so that was actually something we were going to merge into. Um, people who actually, you know, need a better nutrition for cardiovascular health. You've just said if you have high cholesterol, no more than seven, seven eggs. eggs. And so if you don't have high cholesterol, what's... The, I, I don't have a quota for someone who doesn't no. have high cholesterol. But in, so, in saying that, I mean, the eggs, the cholesterol in the eggs do not affect blood cholesterol. And that's misinformation or misnomer that most people think. Yeah. So yep. it's not about the cholesterol in the eggs. Mm. The egg yolk contains all those good nutrients, the vitamins and minerals. So it's not the cholesterol in the eggs that causes high cholesterol in the blood. Well, are there any foods that we would avoid um, that are high cholesterol content straight off the bat that well, people might think are actually okay for them? And Well, certain foods like, again, I call them older <laughs> foods, things yep. like liver. Because mm. that's where cholesterol is manufactured, in the liver. Yep. So having a lot of liver, mm. pate can actually increase cholesterol levels because that's where cholesterol is oh, produced. Okay. But that's not to say occasional Friday night if you have cheese and crackers and a bit of pate, yeah. that'll affect your cholesterol levels. But it's a regular intake of those sort of products, particularly liver itself. And what if someone's um, – I'm just throwing stuff out to you. What if someone's recently had a heart attack and they need to really work on their cardiovascular health? Is there any foods that they should be looking forward to in including a little bit more. Certainly a lot more of the oily fish, mm -hmm. Joe, the salmon, herring, mackerel, whether it's canned or fresh. So having a more omega-3s in the diet actually helps. 
um, and it's great for the blood as well. So a lot more the oily fish and also seafood. People often think that seafood's no good for them because of the cholesterol component. Mm. But in terms of heart disease, certainly a lot more of the oily fish are very necessary. And let's bring it the other way to younger younger men, let's say. Um, is there anything that helps through puberty or increasing testosterone? Melissa wanted to um, ask that question about you. Are there any foods that increase testosterone? Not specifically for men around puberty because they have <laughs> high testosterone levels. But yep. as you age and testosterone levels actually drop as we age, and my understanding is that it drops at about 1% after the age of 30. 1% per year? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I, I do get asked that question before, a number of times, how can I boost my testosterone through food? There are some foods, namely the oily fish, the salmon. These keep coming up. The mackerel. Uh, there seems to be ginger, pomegranate, green leafy vegetables. But there's no clinical studies to actually prove that these have an effect on boosting testosterone. Okay. But to be aware of those fishy, oily foods once again as potentially being a, a part of that process. Very much so. Hmm. All right. I'd like to completely switch direction now. We have a lot of patients that, as I said, have prostate cancer and some of them will actually need ongoing treatment. So um, any comments on just nutrition generally for people undergoing cancer treatments? Well, for one, the disease itself and the mode of treatment pushes or places extra demands on the body. And so you've got to get the body in a tip-top shape to actually fight the disease itself and also the treatment. And chemotherapy, radiation therapy can impact on the person in terms of reducing the appetite. Uh, there may well be a loss in muscle mass, um, taste uh, alterations. Mm. So all those sort of things are really quite complex and it puts people off in terms of their food. And when they feel that way and they're fatigued as well, generally they stop eating or they don't eat very much. But that has the other reverse effect is that it affects the immune system. And so we want to boost the immune system to actually fight off the disease itself and also to get their body in such a state that they actually fight off infection and also help with wound healing. Mm. And f f uh, fruit, what about uh, people often talk about juicing and fruits and any comments on that in the treatment of cancer. I'm sure it's come up in your work and in your um, clinical practice in the past. Yeah, look, I always tell my people, my clients, always have the whole fruit, not the juice of that fruit. Is that right? Because generally mm. when you juice a fruit, you actually lose the fibre. Okay. And fibre is one of those, it's actually nutrient as such, it actually has many functions, bowel functions, uh, helps with cholesterol reduction as well. And it helps us fill. But when you actually drink juice and the, and if the person's actually trying to get the best nutrients and maximise the nutrition intake, I always tell them have the whole fruit, not the juice of that fruit, first and foremost. What about smoothies? Smoothies, different different kettle of fish there, yeah. so to speak. I'm speaking of fish and salmon, but different kettle of fish. <laughs> uh, the smoothie uh, may well be just regular milk. I mean, it doesn't have to be necessarily... Uh, High-low milk may well be full cream milk. That still has the protein, the good fats in that as well. So smoothies are good. It also provides calcium. And also calcium is um, helping with muscle development and also bone development, maintaining strength. So a smoothie. But if they're trying to lose weight, um, then I would suggest only one fruit, not 
four or five fruits. Okay. But if the opposite would be if they're losing weight and the appetite is poor, a smoothie can actually be a good thing that can have, whereby it provides nutrients, provides a protein, and it's a lot easier to actually drink your fuels as opposed to eat it. Because if you're fatigued, eating actually is quite difficult. Mm. Well, I've actually really enjoyed just putting a, a smoothie together in the morning, but I did actually hear a couple of days ago on the radio from um, some general commentary that um, you're taking out quite a bit of the fibre by um, putting things in a blender, but that didn't make a lot of sense to me. No, be, just because you blend it, I mean, if you actually consume the whole thing from the blended product, you still got the fibre there. Mm. But it's some of those blenders actually leave the fibre and it's actually just like juice and that's where you're missing out on that essential fibre. Yeah. But to double off that, you can actually add some oats to it um, and blend that and you'll have some fibre there and that also provides a good filler as well. I often get patients who have constipation, so this is, might be just a little opportunity to talk about that. Are there any foods um, that you recommend to help? Because we do get, um, again, with these treatments, um, chemotherapies, they tend to get, or radiation therapies, a combination of bowel problems where it can swing between diarrhea and mm. constipation. Mm. You know, th- those things greatly impact on um, quality of life. So any foods to help with both of those? So um, if people have constipation, have you got any recommendations? Um, well, again, constipation, uh, foods that will help there would be ground origin foods, so whole grain cereals, whole grain breads, and whole grain cereals referring to things like porridge, may well be wheat bix, uh, could be all bran, and it's one of the highest fibre cereals on the market. I don't get paid by Kellogg's, I'm just giving <laughs> you the facts. So whole grain cereals, nuts, fruit, but leave the skins on the fruit. That's important because, again, if you take the skin off, you're losing the fibre. Nuts, legumes like baked beans, lentils, soybeans, they all help in terms of leave adding and helping with constipation. But having said that, once you actually increase your fibre intake, you also need to increase your fluid intake. It's just like a sponge soaking up water. Mm. So if you've got the fibre there, you need the fluid to actually soak up the fibre. So it goes through the bowel unchanged and it comes out quite smoothly. Yes, and I have something called the Bristol Stool Scale. Do you ever refer to that in your practice? Not not always. It's almost too complex. I just tell people. They just want to know how do I improve my constipation and, and that's the <laughs> We can leave that to the physios um, drawing out the um, the good old Bristol poo chart. Correct. <laughs> what about diarrhea? Is there anything people should be avoiding? Complete opposite. Mm. So instead of having, for example, high fibre, you go for low fibre or low residue. In other words, instead of having, for example, um, could be porridge for breakfast, I'd swing and go for cornflakes or rice bubbles. Rather than go for whole grain breads, go for refined white breads. Instead of whole grain or brown rice, you go for white rice. And you ah. take the skins off the fruit yep. and have juices. So you actually tr- go in the opposite. So yeah. you're actually reducing the fibre content and the residue. Once that normalises, then you slowly and gradually increase the dietary fibre from those foods that help with constipation. So it's the complete opposite. Low fibre, low residue. Treat the diarrhea that subsides in a slow introduction of fiber because if it's a quick introduction you'll actually get the opposite and have diarrhea ah, again yep 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 yeah and each person is very different in terms of when we introduce those high fiber foods okay what about if people have had um like gut illnesses do you recommend things like the probiotics is that part of um anything that is associated with your i, I do but mm. i always try to get it through foods first mm. so things like dairy products, particularly particularly yeah. yogurts um they're, they're good in the probiotics. Um, in things like the high fiber foods, people who go on very low 
carb diets, they also miss out on the essential fibre. Mm. And that's when they miss out on the good gut bacteria. Yeah. And there's lots of reasons why we need the bacteria in our guts. It helps from weight loss amongst other, uh, with IBS as well. And it helps introduce the good gut flora, which is really important. And lots of good research shows that low carb diets actually eliminate or reduce the amount of good gut bacteria. Okay. And would the yogurts that you're talking about be like your Greek yogurt that needs to be natural? Could people have flavoured yogurts? They can have flavoured yogurts. The, yeah. They will still get the uh, those cultures in there and the okay. good bacteria. Mm. And just I'm just bringing a whole lot of just random questions at you just because of things that um, people often comment to me. All of these diet products and these low sugar products, what, what um, value do they have? Look, they have their place in a diet, particularly if they if people want to lose weight. And for example, if they're having a regular soft drink, for example, a can of Coke, roughly about 10 teaspoons of sugar per Maybe can. 10. Yeah. But nobody drinks cans anymore. It's always the 600ml bottle. So it's roughly 16 teaspoons per bottle. Yeah. And what you're getting there is just straight sugar, mm. no nutrients, no minerals, no dietary fiber, just straight sugar. And that can increase your insulin levels pretty quickly. And having that on a regular basis can actually store that as body fat. So if someone is drinking a lot of those products, I generally say, look, you're better off having a low jewel. And I always recommend things like flavoured mineral waters, but the clear ones mm -hmm. without, should we just naturally infused mineral waters. So they're and quite super okay? Active. Yeah, they're yeah. quite okay, yeah. Okay. Because I always tend to avoid those thinking they might have some little hint of artificial colouring or flavouring. That's more just natural flavourings that they have in them. So I'd recommend those as opposed to things like your Coke, sugar, Coke, no zero, uh, no zero sugars. Yeah. So yep. always mineral water. But first and foremost, plain tap water is fine. Or if not, it could be just sparkling plain mineral water. But if someone wants some flavour, you can get those naturally infused ones. I always like to actually get a lemon and slice it up into like cubes basically. And then I chuck that into the freezer and freeze that. So that becomes my... Um, ice block. <laughs> Great way of flavouring the water because, yeah. I mean, let's face it, water can be quite bland. But if you do that, you can also add a sprig of mint in that and also it's quite a, a nice flavour. Yeah. yeah. You can also actually just blend up some strawberries. Mm. And you can put that, or that tablespoon of that into your sparkling mineral water for a bit more flavour. Well, what about alcohol? Let's have a chat. We have um, a bit of an alcohol problem in Australia. We know um, it's... Well, our hot climate enables that to be, you know, a few coldies, one becomes six quite quickly. Just about every patient that I interview is drinking alcohol on a daily basis over a certain age group. That's mostly men over about 60. That actually is something I personally don't do. And um, uh, I've even met people who have who spend more money on alcohol than food per week. Um, yeah, some pretty shocking stories at times. Um, not necessarily the health benefit, um, but w in terms of weight gain, is, is there much to talk about or comment on with alcohol, Boris? With regards to weight gain? Yeah. Very much so. Okay. So what we term alcohol as being empty calories, they just provide you with energy or kilojoules or calories. The body can't use that, so we actually tend to store it. And it's mm -hmm. quite easy to consume lots of kilojoules in an alcoholic beverage, now, be it a wine or it could be a beer or a spirit, um, and it's very easy, as I said, to store those calories. And generally speaking, when you drink lots of alcohol, that also can actually increase your appetite. And generally, when your appetite increases once you've had alcohol, it's generally not for healthy 
food, as I mentioned about that plate, with you get half the munchies. veggies, you get the munchies. And it's generally snack foods. And generally, when you eat those snack foods, they're very high in calories and high in fat. And you store it predominantly around your middle area. And mm. so the visceral fat starts to build up. And that's one of the components of, I guess, a high risk of cardiovascular disease and also diabetes when you're carrying visceral abdominal fat around the middle. I call it veranda for men. Oh. So when it's in a... I guess, size that you can't see the tools, so to speak. Yeah, I just had a patient earlier today re- with requires that. Requires total renovation. Yeah. But you can't spot <laughs> reduce. The body will actually lose fat from where it needs to. But once it's around that middle, the abdominal obesity, that increases the risk of those diseases, conditions such as diabetes, cardiovascular disease mm. and hypertension. Yeah. Well, just being the penis project, there's a little... Um, quote that I often say when I'm doing presentations and and that's for every 16 kilos of weight gain there's a corresponding 2.1 centimeters or inch of penile length lost so you know that's a often a bit of a inspiration for some of our patients particularly if they're going to be having surgery and, and losing some of their erectile function where they actually get penile retraction and things so it's actually um something that usually gets guys quite motivated. Well, why wouldn't it be? <laughs> totally be expected. But if your waist is around 102 or greater, mm-hmm. and that increases the risk of those centimeters. 102 centimetres, that increases the risk of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, mm. and certain cancers as well. So get that waist under 102. Okay. What's it for females? Females, I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of males. Yeah. Um, I, I think, think it was 88 centimetres the last time I looked. Does that ring a bell? I think it was about 88. 80, it's yeah, about 88. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, there's so many um, interesting things about food. When when we were having the chat earlier, you said, I said, how was your day today? And you reflected on that. Yeah, it was okay, but then that you felt like you needed a bit of exercise. So how, how does exercise fit into to your day? Well, we don't always feel like exercising. Well, I don't, mm. and I'm a dietitian. I'm, I'm active and I'm fit. But there are do- some days where your mood's not that good and you mm. get up in the morning you think, well, what have I did, done the night before that's actually made me feel pretty lousy in the morning? And sometimes mm. you can't pinpoint. Was it um, you didn't get quality sleep? Was it too hot? It was hot last night. I had the air column, but it was still maybe broken sleep. Yeah. So I figure I can do one of two things, hang around at home and do nothing or go to the gym and boost my mood. Mm. And so we know that exercise also boosts boost testosterone mm-hmm. and exercise actually improves your mood. And so once I actually went to the gym, did my workout, had a shower, I felt fantastic. And that also sets me up for the day that I've got ahead of me. So one of those things that's really important just to improve your mood. Mm. And, and exercise in general produces the happy hormones or the endorphins. Correct. Are they something that then persist for a few hours, do you find, personally? Well, for me personally, once I've had a workout, depending on the, I guess, intensity of the workout, the more intense, I guess, the greater that I feel in terms of those endorphins. Mm. But one can't always exercise intensely because one doesn't always feel like it. So I listen to my body. Yeah. If I'm feeling really good and I've got a lot of energy, I'll actually push myself harder. Yeah. On days that I'm not that, I guess, energetic, I'll still get to my exercise session, now, be it... Um, the gym, be it a cycle or go for a walk or go for a swim. At least I've done something. So something's better than nothing. Because if you're at home, you're more likely to partake in eating. And exercising the, f- the fridge door. Pretty easy, yeah. Mm. yeah. And so then it doesn't really take a lot of those snacky foods in the morning to set your day up for maybe having a, I guess, 
probably not the best day in terms of eating. And yeah. you think, I'm going to burn it off tomorrow. But mm. it takes a lot of work to actually burn up what you've actually consumed. Mm. So rather than put it in, modify it by saying, well, let's, let's go for a walk. Even if it's a 15, 20-minute walk around the block, you don't have to go to the gym. That sets you up for a good day in terms of feeling better about yourself, but also it improves your choice of nutrients and foods that you actually choose for the day. And what I liked, what we touched on earlier was just the the frequency. And you said 22 minutes a day. It just so happens that 22 is my favourite number. I really don't know why, but it actually is. Um, So we're talking about if you're not aiming to lose weight, just a, a basic baseline exercise session per day was 150 minutes per week of moderate, was it, or gentle exercise? Moderate. Yep. Yeah, moderate. And uh, moderate describes some of you walking with your wife or your girlfriend or your partner or your friend, and you can talk to each other, have a conversation. That's about the intensity you need to go at. But you can't continue to do that and get the effects because the body's getting used to that. You need to then increase the intensity. Ah, That's important. Yeah. Yep. So just go a bit faster? A bit faster, yeah. Yep. yeah and then faster. maybe build up a bit longer. Yeah. So, so for people who are really struggling, even with, say, fatigue from chemotherapy, it's encouraged these days to use exercise as medicine as well and that same um, concept of 150 minutes a week is now a recommendation through ESSA, our sports um, accreditation society and to add in the cardio um, resistance work of about three sessions of one hour per week. Mm -hmm. Um, We also touched about that as being our personal ideal as well. Well, I try to get to the gym every couple of days. Mm. And I've got my own program. I've been training for quite a long time. My aim is not to actually build huge muscles. It's just to, and I'm getting to an age where my muscle mass is decreasing. Mm. And so doing resistance training can actually help at least maintain, if not actually increase muscle, but also increase my strength. And once you've actually feel stronger, it actually helps with your core stability as well. So you find people who get into a certain age, they can't even get off their chairs or off the couch. Oh, yeah. Mm. And so... Look at look at the exercise in terms of muscle building from that functional component rather than just aesthetically, because mm. you can get strong people look like they're strong, but not necessarily functional functionally strong. So weight training is important for many facets of of good health and well being. Mm. Well, I personally have just had to um, go down that pathway myself because I have a quite a severe scoliosis in my spine, and for my whole life I've been a dancer and a yogi, but. Um, started to notice a little bit of pain and I did hit the magic 5-0 last year. So I think there's been a bit of hormonal changes for myself. So, um, yeah, I've just started doing a lot more strength work and, and, and I actually didn't think I'd enjoy it. But, you know, I already started to feel a little bit of um, change to way my clothes feel just within six weeks or so. So um, you can surprise yourself with what, what you can gain with just a little bit more effort as well sometimes. Yeah, very much so, Jane. I say to people, be realistic in terms of setting goals. Mm. Give yourself six weeks. And it hasn't taken you six weeks to get to where you are in terms of your weight and your so-called veranda, I call it. Yeah. But allow yourself six weeks. And if, if you're not losing much on the scales, look at how your clothes feel. I mean, if your belt's coming down by a notch or two, you know. then things are starting to change. You're changing body composition. So it's not all about what you weigh. But as I said before, it's about your waist measurement. If it's coming down, the belt's coming down, your clothes are feeling looser, things are starting to change. And also your strength, you know that you can actually lift more and you're feeling better about yourself. And I think that's really important in these days. Um, with COVID and all of our lockdowns, we've all had to become a bit more resourceful with you know, what we can do from home. Walking's certainly the most easiest. You don't need to go to a gym either. You can use like milk bottles, can't you, filled with water? Very much so. I mean, if you're... Those men who help their wives do the ironing, 
Yeah, yeah. There's then a few of those out there, I'm sure. Steam or distilled water comes in four litre bottles. Fill that up with water. So you've got four kilo weights. Mm, and great. That's, you don't need to go to a gym. And let's face it, you get to a certain age, gyms can be quite off putting. Mm. You've got your 20, 20 year old or mid 20s there looking pretty buff. And you think, hang on, how would I fit into an environment that's got all these tanned, musculum, oiled bodies? That could be off-putting. Mm. Not for me, but yep. for some, yes. <laughs> yep. Do it at home. Yeah. I mean, do yep. your own body weight, do some push-ups mm. and start off with just your knees. And then once you start gaining some form and some strength, do your regular push-ups. So you're lifting your own body weight. Uh, you can do chin-ups, go to a local park. Mm. And they've got, most parks got bars. They do these days. Um, and you, you often don't see those body weight exercises at the gym. And if you can do a push-up or a chin-up or lap pull-down mm. um, using your own body weight, um, you're doing pretty well. Yeah. Well, Boris, it's been awesome to have a chat with you today. We have covered so many topics in our um, brief chat, really. Do you have any tips that you'd like to give the everyday bloke out there, maybe someone who's not feeling so great about where they're at right now, maybe not feeling so motivated to get off the couch? Well, first and foremost, set doable targets. Don't say to yourself, I'm going to run a 10K <coughs> run tomorrow. Mm. Start off gradually. Do three sessions a week at, say, 10 minutes. Just go for a walk. You don't need to go to the gym. Mm. Maybe look at your pantry. See what's in there. Do a pantry cleanup, I call it. Yeah, right. Throw out some of the foods. are actually given to other people, family members who not necessarily may need them, but if you're not wanting to waste them, give them away. Mm. Restock the fridge. I mean, look at your fruit and vegetable cabinet. Mm. If it's going mouldy, <laughs> certainly buy as you need. Yeah. But fresh is, is, is always great. Fresh fruit and vegetables, just work on colour. Um, about the bread, you may not have to eat bread every day if you choose not to. Mm. Buy good quality whole grain bread, keep it in the freezer, just take it as required. Yeah, that's a very Have some dairy products. Now, full fat dairy products, it doesn't have to be low fat. Greek yogurt, mm. regular milk. Regular mm. cheese. Most men like their cheese. Try to cut back on your meats. Men love meat. Mm. Smaller yeah. portions. It, smaller portions. I mean, we're Half not a plate of vegetables. Ideally, yeah. Dinner I mean, plate don't size. cut out your red meat. Just have smaller portions of red meat. People say, what sort of quantities? Look at your palm. Palm size and the thickness is about what you need. Mm -hmm. Some men have got pretty big palms. Yeah. So in some cases, you might have to have less than that. But some guys want to use two palms. Two palms. <laughs> Just use one <laughs> palm. Yep. And your hands that are cupped. So two cupfuls or handcuffs of your veggies, mm -hmm. a little bit of carbohydrate, Yep. cut back on those discretionary foods, moderate your alcohol. I mean, have a beer with your meal. Mm. Don't have two beers prior to your meal because yep. that increases your appetite yep. and you'll eat more. So have, a, a, have an alcoholic beverage with your meal. Drink more water. Mm -hmm. And if it, plain water is pretty boring, it may well be. Just the flavoured, naturally infused mineral waters are always quite nice. Or my little... Lemon ice block trick. Exactly. With maybe some <laughs> mint or some <laughs> A sprig strawberries. Of mint. Sprig of mint. Sprig <laughs> of mint. Certainly increase your intake of good fats, extra virgin olive oil. People have heard about the Mediterranean diet. There's a lot of good research showing the benefits of Mediterranean diet. So a lot more of the extra virgin olive oil. Well, I think being married to a Greek, that's actually a really good time to close we have olive oil on everything, virgin olive oil. 
Boris, thank you so much for joining us today for your wisdom and wonder in all things dietetics and nutrition. Thank you, Joe. It's been an absolute pleasure. And if I'm invited again, I'll be happy to come down. It's been <laughs> really good. I'm glad I've spent some time with you and just nutting out the good aspects of good health and well-being. Thanks, Boris. You're a champ. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to tell you about a boy who lives inside me. He's been there all of my life. Hi, this is Dr. Joe. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions and so much feedback. And Melissa and I are absolutely thrilled about this. What we'd really love you to do, though, is to share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download using your favourite podcast app or subscribe to the penisproject.org. You'll get a weekly email and new releases. And this helps our podcast to get more people. And if you write a review and subscribe as well, well, we'll get known more widely across the globe. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. Just a mystery to me. I've got a boy of my own now. It fills me with pride to see him growing so fast into a man.